are tuned in to the Way of Healing podcast, where we inspire humans to connect more deeply to their experience of life. My name is OJ. My name is Casey. We are connecting with practitioners to talk about the potential of the innate healing powers within. Hello, and welcome back to the Way of Healing podcast. I'm Casey. She's back to normal. I'm OJ. Yeah, my voice is back. Knock on wood. Um... Today, we're sitting down with Rika Gaspari. Um, very excited to have her here. I heard about her many months ago, uh, probably about nine months ago, from my craniosacral therapist teacher, Hugh Milne. And he said, oh, you need to go see Rika. So Rika is located in LA. She does craniosacral therapy. She's an integrative healer. She works a lot with deep tissue work as well as acupressure points, and she does pre and postnatal. So we're very excited to have this multimodal integrative healer with us today. Rika, welcome. Thank you. How are you, Rika? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Good to have you on the show. How was your, uh, your day so far? Blissful. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice out here in LA actually today. Um, really warm. It is, yeah. Yeah, I got to go to the beach with, uh, oh, with nice. the kids. It was, oh, it was cool. Nice. Today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. I had a really nice day. I taught Tai Chi. Uh, I'm teaching in a corporate office building. Hello, Low Financial Center. <laughs> yeah, they've graciously invited me in and it's been going great so far. Today's, yeah, I do two back-to-back classes and it was like next level. I feel a leveling up happening. Yeah. I feel like this there's a lot of growth this spring. Like mm-hmm. extra. I'm noticing. Mm. Um that there's some extra growth, some extra weeding, of course necessary with extra growth. Yeah. Um so that all feels pretty good. So, yeah. I'm going to a, a Tai Chi Qigong retreat. You know about it. That's right. Calligraphy yoga is what it's called out in um, Tepotzlan, Mexico. So, maybe. do you have room That's for Rika fantastic. and I? Yeah, you can fit. I think you guys would fit in the luggage. Yeah. Rika definitely would. <laughs> yeah. I might have to go in the oversize. I could fit in a golf bag. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? These are just yeah. my golf clubs. So, Rika, let's see. What do you want to tell us? You started. Maybe how you started or how, actually just whatever, whatever okay. is at the tip of your tongue. So when I was a kid, I just wanted to be a ballet dancer. I was up and down the driveway, all through the house, classes, gave up so much during high school to really want to do this. And it just wasn't in the cards. I wasn't built like a ballet dancer. And by the time I realized that, you know, I got to a certain age, my technique wasn't where it should have been and, you know, fumbled around and worked in health food stores and retail and all of that. And then eventually landed in LA and was on someone's massage table. And I've been on lots of massage tables and chiropractors because of ballet. But I was on this one table and I was working at the now defunct Dow Healing Arts Center Hmm. um, that was opened years and years and years ago by Dr. Kaneko. And uh, I was on the table with this therapist named Vince who turned my life around and made me deal with something emotional in my body. And I thought, man, if I could do this, I want to do this. And then I fell into the school, which was the Shiatsu School in Santa Monica. That's also defunct. But it had the most amazing collection of teachers and people, the people that were drawn to it. It just felt different. And the very first time I saw one of the teachers working on someone on a table, I just thought, oh, that's the way I want to work. 
Like I want to be in there. I want to be on the table. I want to be with that body. And that's how it kind of evolved. What so. was the, um, the modality that you were receiving? Um, gosh, I think what I would say that Vince did deep tissue. He went deep. He would go deep with clients. And he also was interesting to watch him evolve because then he started to go to South America for classes and things. And he became much more of a shamanic. He brought in shamanic practices and his work got more gentle, but energetically deeper mm -hmm. over the years. And at the shiatsu school, you always start off with shiatsu. And then there were workshops to take deep tissue or prenatal or um, Swedish, you know, Craniosacral, isn't that yes. where you had your introduction to craniosacral? Yes, with Ellen Heed. She was doing an intro, and I just, I remember being in class, and I said, does anyone else feel like they've just been given a key, and there's like these doors at the bottom of the stairs, and you have to walk down, and I could just envision it like the Harry Potter movie, you know? It was like, ooh, and there's big wooden doors, and you're going to put the key in, and you open it up, and it's like, all of this magic is back there, and Everybody looked at me and I thought, okay, <laughs> I think I'm the only one who like, I don't know. And I ended up in the Milton Institute and because that's where Ellen had studied and she said, just do it. And of course there's that aspect of how can I afford this? How can I do this? Da, 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 da. And you just, you just dive in, you know, I think that through life, don't you, don't you follow what your desires are? And they lead you in the right direction a lot. So when I went into cranio, it opened up a whole world that I had no idea. And I don't mean outside. I mean internal. And it was quite luxurious and scary and enticing. Like I needed more. The aspect of going internal is something that I've been working with lately. And it's going internal that allows us to go external. Right? I think like so. Yeah. We can only serve our clients as deep as we've gone. Yes. So that exploration of self and that deep dive into what's under here. Okay, that's not the bottom. What's under here? What's under that? Under that? Under that? Or what's over there on this side? What's on that side? That's been a big piece of healing, right? If, if we're working with healing, we have to do that work on ourselves. It's like every modality offers that. Every, every, every pursuit really offers that. But I think in the healing world, it's almost built into the curriculum. Mm -hmm. I'd have to agree. I think that learning in general, I think that as we grow as human beings, you know, you're 10, you're 20, you're 30, you don't stop learning. It doesn't, like, you should, should, I hate that word, but the idea you of- get to. Somebody yes. recently said, every time you want to say should or have to, say, I get to. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah. You get to follow what interests you. So if you want to take trombone lessons, you take trombone lessons. But as a person who's following the healing path, it's like, what interests you? If your friend is taking- sports massage and it's not something that calls to you, then don't, but follow and be open to the opportunities to grow and dive off that cliff into the work that you're following or studying and doing. And 
it's scary. I used to spend a lot of my classes in an alley off the school crying because I was so scared to touch people because I would do it wrong. And one of the therapists, a beautiful woman named Linda Tu, she just held my hand one day. I'm going to start crying. Oh, my God. She held my hand. And she just said, what's your intention? What's your intention with this client that you're going in to see? Because I had told her I was so scared. And it was the beginning of my work. And I thought, I just want to be with this person. I want to hold space and see what they need. What's their deepest need? And how do I, how do I allow for that to be seen? Not allow for me to fix it but allow it to be seen so that they can address it. And that took a long time. I got it intellectually, but emotionally, it took a long time to embody that. I uh, posted something on Instagram the other day, and it says, a healer is not someone that you go to for healing. A healer is someone that triggers within you your own ability to heal. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know if we've addressed it on the podcast yet or not, but... There's a common misconception that when someone calls themselves a healer, that they are able to uh, fix people, that there are these special people that have these special gifts that can heal people in a way that other people can't. Does that make sense? When in reality, us as healers, we're, we're just holding space for the healing to happen, and the healing has to happen within that own, that person, and it's a deep, deep healing that Casey was talking about where there's layers and layers and layers that that person's going to have to work through themselves. And us as healers are just allowing them the space to do that. Yes. You create the safe space, mm -hmm. the space where they can be seen and heard and recognized for who they are, because we don't get that, especially in this age of, and this day and age of technology where we're looking at a screen and there's no feedback. Mm -hmm. So to, that's a gift without imposing your idea of how someone should heal themselves or get better or whatever. And I think that doesn't go with just being in session. I think that goes with being in our relationships in everyday life mm -hmm. without judgment, you know, that we actually take time to hear what our friends or our partners are saying to us without jumping in, you know? I get interrupted a lot, but that's probably because I talk so much. <laughs> but it's frustrating to be, I wanna get my whole thought out. And, it's, and sometimes when I'm with a client, I will wanna, ah, ah, you know? I, I, ooh. And I, it's like, no, they need to talk this out. It just needs to be said. And, if it takes up more time and they don't get on the table for as long, that's okay. But that's a paradigm shift because there are people who walk in and expect just to get on the table immediately, mm -hmm. you know, and they're looking at the clock and it's like, mm, this is part of the process. Right. This is part. We're setting it up so that we can go deep, that we can be, we can trust one another. Right. It's like having layers of clothing on 
in cold weather, right? You don't just step into the house and suddenly you're in, you know, your skivvies, you take off your hat, you unwrap your scarf. It's that same process. And I like your analogy of the keys because as healers, it's just kind of like having different doors, showing clients the possibility that there's a door here. What's behind the door, we don't know. It might not be excruciating, right? Mm. I think sometimes if I talk about like, layers and layers and the work is never done like that's fucking terrifying for some people they're like what the hell would I want to do that for (laughs) why do I want to just you know excavate a garbage dump it's not always like that sometimes it can be very simple as being held underneath your left shoulder in a way that allows tension to release throughout the body and maybe there's tears maybe there's not tears maybe there's words maybe there's nothing It's just keeping the energy moving is what allows the healing process. What is craniosacral, by the way? I don't think we've delved into that yet on this podcast. Well, it came out of the world of osteopathy. And um, and so like at one point, only osteopaths could work with it. And then there were teachers that came along and made it open to other people. And there are various schools of craniosacral. It's basically a non-invasive technique of putting your hands on someone and tuning into their cranial rhythm, which is like a rhythm like your heartbeat or a rhythm like your breath. And it exists all the time while we're sitting here. We're in a cranial rhythm, but it's a different beat, if you if you want to say that, or a different tempo than if you were in a session and everything slowed down. And it's giving space, for me, in my head, it's giving space to remember who we really are, that we are beings of heart, and we go up into our heads and we walk around and we are these heads that drag around a body, and it's bringing back that place of, to me, heart, and unwinding the body. And as Hugh Milne says, it's remembering the touch of spirit on the body. And I just think that's such a fine thing to remember when I'm working with someone. And it's really different than doing tissue work, you know, when you're manipulating tissue. It just feels, it's just a different, not even, I don't wanna say modality, it's not that, it's a different expression and a different communication. Mm-hmm. And so you integrate that in with your actual body work? Yes, I sometimes do full sessions of craniosacral work, and sometimes I will do craniosacral work at the end of a session to just settle down the system and allow a deeper peace, or if you wanna say relaxation, but also it sort of settles in the work we've done into the actual body. Mm-hmm. And it's like a finishing touch, but I don't do it with everyone, you know? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it out and you see how open that person is energetically to it. Mm -hmm. This client have an idea right when they come in that they're not into that. And sometimes that changes, right? Sometimes it's they're coming in and it's like, oh, they want the physical and then they drop down and energetically it just feels right yes and i think that's like um i think that's with any kind of body work my i'm finding that first of all when you're doing body work it's your nervous system the practitioner's nervous system engaging with the person on the table right so you have this communication going that's not verbal 
And some people's nervous systems don't respond well to a heavy touch. So there's something that's much lighter for people, you know, and, and we can name it as tickle massage. But it's sort of like if you take your fingers and you just on somebody, have somebody do this and you just stroke up your arm very lightly, for some people that gives them chills. And chills is moving chi in the body. And for some people, it's really aggravating. Mm -hmm. They don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I've had clients like these big, massive guys. And I'm thinking I have to go in deep. And then I realize, oh, no. And I start, I ask them, do you like this touch? And I do a really light touch and they just kind of sigh. And it's their nervous system saying, yes, I've been recognized. I want really light touch. And it may not be the whole session, but it's interwoven into the session of you can go into a shoulder and then you can stroke the neck and then you can stroke the arms and the inner elbow and just bring them a blissful state, you know, a relaxing state. And once again, it goes back to being seen and recognized. I've heard craniosacral touch talked about as the weight of a nickel, right? Mm -hmm. and, it, and it goes heavier and lighter than mm -hmm. that. And it can be very deep and penetrating as well, right? Especially if you're underneath somebody and the weight of their body is on you or you're working on moving something in them around their spine, there can be deep work. Yes. Um, and it's so funny. I just had the experience this weekend where we think because somebody is a bigger body, that equates to heavier hands. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a trade and I received work and she gave me very deep work, strong, very strong. And when we swapped, I like tested out, you know, we were, we were just testing it out. And I said, how's this? And she was like, oh, that's way too much. And I was just like, it was wonderfully startling because it made me break down my association with size equals intensity. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, she really needed something way, way lighter. Um, yeah, I don't prefer deep tissue at all. Right, but you, you and you practice. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like flinching on the table. No. You know? Oh, man, I was witnessing somebody receiving work and they were flinching and I thought oh geez what's going on over there yeah this I was in a I was seeing a client and we were in a sauna and there was like a group of people exchanging body work and yeah it was like clearly very painful for this right and when you're on a table you don't always speak up because you're in a vulnerable position right you know it's like I mean we've all gotten haircuts that we hated right <laughs> we didn't say anything so it's it's that same thing. They're on a table and the, the dynamic is, is a little different. And sometimes there's a fear and so there's a flinch. And I think it's up to the practitioner to see that flinch and to be like, okay, I can't get in this way and even talk to them. Well, it looks like this is going on, that you're armoring, that you're backing off. Let's find a way to get in maybe from the side door, you know, maybe we just, we just, just um, like I'm using my hands or just <laughs> rubbing my fingers. Like you just move your thumb lightly and talk to it and say, how can I get in? And there's a little rocking that goes on. And it's just then there's this communication with that section of body that's saying, ah, and making it relax under your hands and then getting in. I believe that we spend a lot of time getting stress in our lives. 
you know, in the days driving in LA. I don't want that stress. I don't want to release that stress on the table that way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be screaming. Mm -hmm. I want it to be coaxed out gently. I want to feel luxurious when I get off the table. Yes, I like to feel work and that I'm, you know, fully re released, but that only comes from being seen, mm -hmm. you know, and what my body wants. For me personally, I like to connect to whatever is trying to release. And I feel like a lot of times, this is my preference, but in a deep tissue session when the therapist is grinding away at this little knot that obviously is not going to let go, no matter how much they keep grinding into it, it just, my nervous system is just on fire. And I'm not able to really communicate with whatever is going on there and delve deep into that because I'm so worried about like, holding my shit together mm. <laughs> because it's so painful and for me a lot of those times when that does happen I leave feeling worse sometimes mm -hmm. because I wasn't again recognized and I wasn't able to really drop into that parasympathetic state where the healing does happen mm -hmm. and that's where the tissue will soften right that's right. yeah for you Rika when you you talk about like clients feeling vulnerable and there's a power dynamic, right? And and a lot of times I find that people might think, well, they're the professional, they know how deep to go, right? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. I think the emphasis, especially in the Milne training is like, check in with them, like check in with them, like keep checking in with them. How is this for you? And the question of, could it be better is very interesting to yes. me. Do you want to talk to that at all? Sure. If I'm feeling that something is off when I'm working with someone, it just doesn't, or I'm asking, how's the pressure? And they say, fine. I don't take fine as an answer. I don't know what that word means. It's sort of like when you're in an argument with somebody and you don't want to talk to them and you go, how are, I'm fine. It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's just not a good word. So I say, okay, well, how can it be better? And then they say, well, could you go deeper or could you go the, whatever they're going to say? But I also know that when you're working on someone, I don't always check in because it depends on the person on the table. Let me just say this. I had a teacher named Dr. Vincent Medici who said in class one time, and I thought, oh my God, that's arrogant. <laughs> but it's not. He said, you can only be as good a therapist as the person on the table allows you to be. And I thought that just took all the responsibility of my learning away. Like what? It's all about the, the person? And it is because if a person is armored on the table and you're trying to get in, or if there's an agenda in their head and you're trying to have a conversation, whether it's verbal or not, it's a different set of circumstances than if you're working with someone who is on the table to receive, on the table to take that journey with themselves first and then with you. So there are times when I don't check in because it all feels right. And I have quotation marks over the right. It feels, uh, you know, semantics, right. Uh, it feels like it's a flow, like we're in the same boat going down a river together. And sometimes it feels like one of us is in the boat and one of us is in the water. And I got to figure out how to get us both back in the boat, you know, because it's not working. And so that's when the conversation is, how's this working for you? How's, what's going on? And 
And in my experience, I have done things like I have gotten nervous and tried harder. And that does not work. Backing off and asking, even to the point of saying, I don't think this is working. Should we stop? And we see where that goes. And that might be exactly what they need. Right. That's the beautiful thing. Yeah. You might just not be the therapist for that person. Or they that might be all they can take. Yes. Right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's because it's not what you're taught. But I just always remember those words of, look, we go to the doctor, we think the doctor will fix us. We walk in, the power dynamic of the therapist is going to know everything. I, I don't. And my hands know more than my head does. My hands know more than my head will ever know. And I have to trust that. And I have to trust that the person walked in because the universe brought them to me. And I have to be there. I have to be present and let everything unfold between us. That's powerful. (laughs) (laughs) There's a a big ego check for a therapist or a lot of therapists, their egos are so fragile that they keep going and they don't listen to those, those signs or those energies where it shouldn't keep going on. And it's harder to, when you're in like a spa setting or in a PT office or a chiropractic office, mm-hmm. um, sometimes you just, you can't not do the work, even though it feels awkward and it feels like you guys are on two completely different yes. planets. Right. But it happens more often than we think. Yes. And I think that, um, you know, I recently had a client who just wanted me to dig into her neck and I knew it wasn't going to do anything. And my thumbs are going. (laughs) 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 And it wasn't making an effect. And I, I felt at a loss and I find those sessions completely draining. Mm Mm-hmm. And I walk away trying to figure out what could I have done that was better? How could I have directed something different by saying, let me try this. And I think it's also the more you know, you know, like I'm astounded that the psoas is a muscle in your abdomen has a huge correlation with the scalenes in your neck. And for some reason, it just didn't dawn on me before. Like I know other muscles connect piriformis with pterygoid in the mouth. I know those things, but somehow this didn't. And when you, when there's like an aha, because we don't stop learning and the learning keeps coming and there's an aha and I have to go, you know, of course I go, well, I should have known that. And then it's like, no, well, you didn't. And now you do. So get beyond that. And so the next person who comes in and wants me to dig into their neck, I can say, let's try this. And even if it doesn't work, it's a way of breaking up, you know, that you're going down a path that you know is just, oh, like you're paddling upstream instead of just going with the flow. Yeah, I think of a few things when you're talking about that. And one of them is that a lot of times you have to work distal to the pain, right? You can't go to the source and go like, nah, 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 at the source of the pain. We're all a connected critter. We're one little web. So something that we're feeling in our ankle might be coming from our neck. Mm -hmm. Something in our head might be affecting our elbow. It's like cleaning out the gutters or like the pipes and the plumbing. 
or like for lymph work, right? You open up the bigger channels first before you push more stuff there. Yes. And so you have to like, maybe, yeah, the psoas is gripping super tight and that's never going to allow the neck to release. Right. One of the fun things is that cornstarch demo. You seen that? We learned about it when we were, when we were learning Chuaka. And cornstarch is a non-Newtonian fluid, right? Is that the right term for it? I think maybe that it has different viscosities depending on, right? So you can put water with cornstarch and if you come at it too fast, it pushes you away. And when you sit with it delicately on the surface, it allows you to sink in. And so tissue is like that. So I've had clients too, and I will use that analogy and I've found that helpful mm. as opposed to, yeah, like my thumb joints going like, no, nah, this is terrible. <laughs> Rika, do you want to tell us about some of the other work that we might experience if we came to see a Rika Gaspari? Hmm. Well, if you're pregnant, I do prenatal massage and I love working with a woman all the way through her pregnancy. Mm. It's quite lovely to watch the growth that she's going through. And I don't just mean you know, the physical growth, but the aches and the pains that come with that and the revelation, especially if it's her first child, the revelation of, wow, I have no control over my body anymore. You know, that's really fascinating. And to just touch the belly and work with the belly and the diaphragm as the breasts start to rest on the belly towards the end of the pregnancy. And then with postnatal, I'm finding that clients are coming and sort of surprised at just how hard parenthood is, that nothing can prepare you for it. And we live in an age of, you have a baby, quick, how fast are you back in your jeans? Hurry up, come on, lose that weight, get back to your routine. And that's not what pregnancy is about and birth is about. And it takes a village and it's overwhelming. And there's a lot of things that go on postnatally, whether you had scar tissue or C-section or an episiotomy or you had drugs or you just had a traumatic birth and it didn't go at all the way your plan was with your doula or your midwife or your doctor. There's so much involved. And emotionally, it's a place where I find, you know, Women will weep because there's finally someone saying, yeah, it's hard and you're tired and you're exhausted and your mate, your partner is the same thing. And and how do you get that? And so I'm really quick at telling them that they need to tell the people that come to visit them that, no, you don't get to hold the baby. You have to go do a load of dishes for me first, or you have to put some soup on for me, or you have to do laundry for me, please. And you can hold the baby because most people think, let me hold the baby and you can go do all this work. And that's not how we want to honor the mother. And then I do scar tissue remediation with women who have had episiotomies, so the scar tissue in their perineum and any vaginal tearing or C-section work. So the scars there, it's not to get rid of the surface scar, it's to get rid of scars underneath. And that's not just for postnatal, that's for someone who, you know, they do hair and they're using their arm constantly, the one arm to hold the blow dryer and the shoulder gets really, really tight or violin players when they're holding their neck in a specific way. So you want to go in and work the adhesions out and the fascia and be in that place to recognize that scar tissue can adhere to other places and other organs in the system and close down the body. So it's not about cosmetics. It's 
more about what's internal. I work a lot with the fascia. So the fascia is super important to the whole, keeping the whole open. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about how scarring can have an impact on the way the body functions? Sure. So there's a terrific, you can Google Gil Headley, who talks about mm -hmm. the fuzz, and he's talking about fascia and how it grows. And the scar tissue is basically, we'll take an example, let's say if you've had a C-section and then your uterus is sewn back up. And there are many layers to it that are sewn, and we want to make sure that the doctor or the surgeon isn't sewing it all together. And it's like layers are sewn per layer and not adhered down. And so what happens if scar tissue grows, it can grow from the uterus up to your liver. It can grow around the abdominal. Like when people get surgery for abdominal work, if it's a, a tummy tuck, or anything with the intestines, if you're shortening the intestines, or you know any work like that, doctors have to go in sometimes and cut out the scar tissue first before they can work because it's just growing. It's collagen, and it can hold down other organs. It can stiffen up the body, and you just have to go in and break it up. And the best way to do that is with castor oil or DMSO and for instance, they finally come around to looking at interstitial cystitis, which is bladder pain for women, and they're now injecting um, DMSO into the bladder to have the inflammation go down because it works really well for inflammation, and so does castor oil. And so we're seeing results with, I mean, this is something so minuscule, okay, but there was a client that came in to a spa that I was working at and she had had a cyst removed and on the back of her body. And I just said, oh, what's this little piece? It felt like there was a piece of stitch sticking up, like there was a hard, like the tip of a pencil mm -hmm. sticking up out of her back. And she said, I just had a cyst removed. So I took the castor oil and we worked the scar and we just rubbed it and worked it and worked it and it went away. And that's a simple thing. So think about what would happen if you had that work done on a C-section scar or perineum scar or intervaginally or breast reductions or breast enlargements or women who are transitioning to men and they have their breast removed and the scar tissue now adheres to the walls of the chest and your breath becomes more shallow. Mm -hmm. And to open that up and to increase that breath and have them, like, think about it. They're birthing a new being. They're taking the shell off of who they were as how they came out of their mother's uterus, and they're birthing into the person that they are, that they really truly are, and then their breath is stuck. It's like, no, you have this breath come up, removing that scar tissue, and their lungs fill up, and it's just an incredibly blissful, joyous moment. And I am always so honored to have that experience of someone coming into the release of their true self coming forward. And I think that's what scar tissue does is hold us down. Are either of you familiar with neurokinetic therapy? Oh, I think I've heard of it. NKT. NKT. Different than neurosculpting? It's different. Um, I, I, I did a training in it. And one of the things that we work on in the... Uh, the first training is scar tissue, mm -hmm. specifically the ones around the abdominal area, because there's, I believe, five layers that someone cuts through if they cut anywhere in the abdomen, right? Right. And 
we can do uh, muscle testing where we can see how if certain muscles are firing, certain muscles in the core are firing, for example. And for a lot of people that have had surgeries, you do a core test and nothing, nothing fires. It, it's off. Right. No matter how much you, they try to activate it and resist against you, there, it, there's nothing firing. And then you do something so simple as touching, just touching the, the scar tissue, and it's supposed to reroute some of the signaling. But just putting your finger on where the scar tissue was, and then you do that same muscle test, and it turns, turns it all on. Ugh. It's the wildest thing, and people are blown away. I had a uh, a surgery, and I had that scar, a huge scar, like a three-inch scar almost, uh, for years. And for years, it was like my core just doesn't fire right. And I never knew what it was until I went to this training, and they did some testing on me, and I was like, holy moly. I had no idea how much uh, the scar affected me, and, and neither do a lot of people that I see that have these scars mm-hmm. and they're just blown away. Same remedy though, castor oil. What was the other thing you said? DMSO. DMSO. Yeah. And you're going to ask me what it is. It's diomethyl sulfite, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mm-hmm. always forget what it is. Oh, it's like, sorry. Powder form? It's liquid. Liquid. It's liquid. And you can, and you can it. add it to the, the castor oil. Mm-hmm. Like you would add a teaspoon to a quarter cup of the castor oil. What does that do exactly? It helps to bring the castor oil further deep into the body Ah. and heat will drive castor oil. So like when you do a castor oil pack and you can Google that, it's Mm -hmm. like you just take flannel and everything has to be organic because it's going right into your system. So you take organic flannel, soak it in the castor oil that has DMSO on it. And you don't always have to use DMSO, but you would put the flannel on your body, then cover it with plastic and then heat. So either a heating pad or a hot water bottle, and then you stay for 30 minutes. And you can do that for 10 days, and it will soften the scar tissue. It's sort of like passive work being done without someone else working it. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a wonderful way of doing that. And they both work for inflammation. And I read that DMSO was also used for I want to say Parkinson's, but I'm not 100, or maybe it was arthritis. I'm so sorry that I don't know that. But the side effect of DMSO is that you will smell like garlic. Mm. And so there was a woman who was getting treated with it and had to stop sleeping in the same bed as her husband because she smelled so strongly, but it was taking away her pain. And I don't think it was Parkinson's. I'm sorry. I can't remember what affliction she had. There's just a lot of things that are really pretty powerful out there that are very natural. Do you know why they smell like garlic? Is that a... It's just that's when you open up the bottle of DMSO, there's just a light smell to it. Hmm. I'm trying to look it up to see. Yeah. I wonder if it has a similar compound. Like, I wonder if there's a similar chemical compound to what garlic to has, a, yeah. right? Yeah. It garlic could. is can be an anti-inflammatory for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got also lots of different properties, but it's saying here that it comes from a substance found in wood. DMSO. Am I looking at the right thing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Castor oil packs are used for, you know, if people are doing cleanses too, maybe before they're going to do a colonic or instead of, or it loosens up blockages. Yes. It's good too, because it's warm and it takes on heat. It's good for the feet. I've had like foot oil or mm. foot massage with castor oil and that's, yeah, that's yummy. Um, do you recommend massaging the scar out on themselves after the 30 minutes? Does that help? 
I would think so. And I think that any time that we address our own scars, because we tend to look at them sometimes as something we don't want to look at mm -hmm. or see because it's a painful memory or we hate the scar because it's ugly, whatever reasons. And I think that by touching the scar and recognizing that it's what keeps you here because you were cut open for whatever reason and now it's closed and you're still alive. And there's a saying that scars are the tattoos of the brave, that you need to address that part of your body. It's like any part of your body, if we disengage from it, that's just, you know, I think psychologically unhealthy, but also it's rejecting something. So to put your hands on your scar and work it and send, you know, love to it and recognize that what it serves, what a scar serves you, you know, whether it's a scar that you got from cutting carrots or a scar because you, I mean, for me, I had an ectopic pregnancy when I was 22 and I have a scar from my navel to the top of my pubic bone and had no idea that I was supposed to be working it, mm -hmm. you know, and 25 years later, it's like I'm in a class and they're like, you have to work that scar. Yeah. So. And be kind to it. Yes. You're not necessarily breaking it down on a physical level. You're, you're just talking to it and telling everything around it to relax. Yes. And reintegrate. Yes. Yeah. The reintegration piece is, is a big, is a big thing as opposed to like, what is this foreign invader on my body? Right. Right. It's right. It's like, yeah, what is there? Prenatal, postnatal, so important. And I love that you said that women being with you for their whole journey. And I was just in a prenatal massage course this past weekend, interestingly. Mm -hmm. And it's such a good thing to get in preparation for birth because there's so many muscles and tendons and ligaments down there and bones and so much shifts and moves. Mm -hmm. And there's so much fear in our culture around birth that it's like, a medical pathology as opposed to a very natural experience that we are all here right. at the service of and that we've been doing this for how long now? <laughs> Women used to go with their female sisters into the forest and give birth squatting, right? Mm -hmm. Without, oh, time, up, oh, three o'clock, we got, we got another person coming. You're going to have to, we're going to give you some, we're going to, you know, mm -hmm getting the women, put her in the gurney, put her in the, yep. Oh, her, we got to, it's like that creates such an aura of fear and tension, which is the exact opposite of what you want the body to be feeling when it is needing to prepare for labor and delivery. Right. And then like you said, postpartum, it's like people forget, like you just were in this nine month journey of this incredible body morph and it takes time to morph and it will never be the same. Never. It can't. It can't yeah. ever be the same. And you're always postnatal once you give birth. Mm -hmm. 50 years later, if you have a child, you know, you gave birth to a child, you're still, you're postnatal. Right. Yeah. And that scar tissue, I think about that because of the high rates of cesarean now mm. and like elective C-sections. And, mm -hmm. and it's like the treatment of that is so important, right? It's like not only are parents not getting sleep, right, which delays healing. Mm -hmm. They're expected to be up and on their feet. Mm -hmm. They're expected to be, it's like, get a massage, take that time for yourself and keep coming back. I know that there's still more with you, Rika. So 
our pregnant mommies, our, our whoever we are, we're big, we're small, we're tight, we're relaxed. There's something else that you offer, which uh, do you want to talk about? It's called sexological bodywork. And I've heard about this. I know some of what it is. And I think it is such an incredibly valuable and under-resourced resource. Mm. Yeah. And once you write, you know, you say sex Mm, a sex title. anything right yeah. people will get like wait what uh, you know you're a sex worker and like no <laughs> no and don't get me started oh, on that because you know personally i believe that that should be legalized but um sexological body workers are somatic sex educators let's just put it that way that means that they work on the body it's not just simply sex education with slides and descriptions this is getting people it's supporting individuals and sometimes people work with couples but it's like supporting the individual to own their own erotic experience. And it can be used for sexual trauma. It can be used for pleasure. It can be used for understanding your own body workings. And my experience with it has been uh, working with women who have had some sexual trauma or post-abortion work. Um, work being with scar tissue and vaginal mapping. The, the training for this is, Casey, what you said, going back to if you don't do the work as a therapist, you know, you can't hold the space. And the training was really intense, especially, well, for, I think for anybody, but for me, because of growing up in an Italian Catholic family, there's a lot of shame. <laughs> repression uh, yeah mm. i mean i grew up in a family that was like very loud and passionate you know we used to say i'm not angry i'm italian it's like uh-huh um but there's just a lot of shame about bodies and sex and i think that's with you know a lot of cultures so the training is in getting to know your own body and where your pockets of shame are and where how do you explore that and how can you then hold that for other people and do work that is meaningful to someone gaining back their own sovereignty. and Or discovering it for the first time. Yes. Big time. Big there. time, mm -hmm. yes. And so, this is for men and women, yes. right? Or women and men? Yes. Yeah. Anybody? Yes. Any, any People transitioning. Yes. Uh, yeah, the whole full spectrum. However you identify. Mm -hmm. And there are sex bod workers, we say sex bod workers for short, that work specifically just with women in pelvic care. There are some who work with couples. There are some who do huge retreats. It's sexologicalbodywork.org, I think, is the website that you can find a person like in your area that does this work. And it can be anything from, I have done prostate massage, which I tell that to some of my male friends and they start laughing uncomfortably. Mm. It's really funny. It's so cute. And it's like, oh, you're uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> I get it. Okay. You're the and, exact person who needs a prostate yes, massage. Because they just don't understand. But the thing is, if you have an enlarged prostate, there are issues that go with that. You're urinating too frequently. You're not getting enough sleep because you're up and urinating. You can't. I mean, there's that. There's scar tissue from birth. And so sex bods can go internally, both anally, obviously, for prostate and vaginally for whatever issues that arise. And there's... I don't know how detailed I can get, but there's, you know, the aspect of trauma work, which some therapists prefer working with. And then there are other therapists who prefer working with the pleasure aspect of it and allowing people to gain that wisdom for themselves and bringing it back into it. And that usually happens when you're working with trauma in the genitals. And the genitals in the mouth are usually 
the, I mean, they're the two places on the body that receive the most abuse. Okay. Whether it, you know, it's usually sexual and we connect the, the pelvis and the jaw connect to one another. So it's great to work both aspects of that. And my firm belief is as a body worker, that I have to drape someone drives me crazy because then I'm covering a woman's breast where all of her lymph is and I'm not supposed to work her breast and she wears an underwire bra with, you know, it pressing into her rib cage. So we should be working breasts and we should be working glutes and penises and pubic bones and the area in between your thighs. It's like not necessarily for some people, yes, your genitals, but also there's the pectineus and there's the gracilis and all of those and muscles thick they and their tenderness and yeah. right and yeah so i've had clients who come in and say i just want to be touched everywhere that it doesn't get touched when i go get a regular massage mm -hmm. there's nothing sexual about it and a sexological body worker stays clothed it's one-handed touch you have a contract so at the beginning of the session. And there are many different ways of doing sexological body work. There's not just one way. And meaning that there's, you know, variations to it. And there are retreats that are out there. Pamela Madsen does a back to the body retreats for women gaining their authenticity and sovereignty and reclaiming their bodies. And I have this I don't know, what do you call it, a fantasy or like a, an intention or that we wait until we're in our 40s and our 50s to deal with our trauma because we don't know our own genitals and we've lived this life of not getting proper sex education in school and not knowing where your own cervix is. And men, you go to the bathroom every time you go to the bathroom, you touch your penis. It's, you're going, hey, you touch it. It's like, oh, look, look. Girls don't do that. Females, you know, when you have the female genitalia, you're not doing that. You're, you don't see what you have. It's unknown. And then you're told by a lover sometimes that this is the way you should be touched. This is the way it is. And you don't even recognize or have a connection to down there, you know? So why not, like I always think of sweet 16 birthday parties and I think, <laughs> oh my God, Girls like quinceañeras and sweet 16s, they should be getting genitally mapped and be told, this is your mom's pubis. This is your outer labia. This is your inner labia. This is your clitoris. This is your hood. You don't really have much of a hood here. This is what's going on with you. Here's a mirror. And of course, you would do that with a parent in the room or a significant you know, adult, like an aunt or a best friend, whatever, so that girls own their own internal pieces. What a gift. That, right? Oh, shoot. But it's like I'm, we can't yeah. even do that because we give all of our money to abstinence-only classes and, mm -hmm. you know, classes that don't talk about sex ed and that in anatomy books, we show penises that have been circumcised. That's not how penis looks, <laughs> you know? It's like... <laughs> yeah, and sex ed is like condoms on bananas and STDs. Yes. That was it. That was yes. it. Yes. And the fear the of pregnancy. It, oh, yeah. And, and yes, and you should, you really don't want teenagers becoming pregnant. That's really not what you want. Right. But they should understand and have ownership. No one should Absolutely. tell you when you're having sex with someone else how you should be feeling or doing. You right. know, it's like this is who you are. And I've had clients who have said things to me like, you know, well, I was having sex and he pulled out and came all over me. And I said, were you 
prepared for that? Did he tell you? She said, no. And I said, did it feel okay? And she said, no. And I said, and did you say anything? And she said, no. So we had a conversation about how the next time it would look like and the conversation that was supposed to happen instead of her feeling um, used well, yeah, for one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Used and not seen and a little bit degraded. For so. sure. I think that would be a wonderful gift. I mean, we give people driver's education. Yes. We teach people how to operate a vehicle mm-hmm. and we very often don't even understand our own inner landscape. So this is... No, yeah. in schools, you know, the argument is that parents should be teaching it to children. But if you have parents who don't know or parents who are uncomfortable, then there should be a place where you can go and get this information. And there are a lot of now online sites okay. um, that are coming up for sex ed for kids and young people. But still, the anatomy isn't something that women... No, and some women told. think it's gross. Like, you're like, take yeah. a mirror and look at yourself. And it's like, yeah. no, what? That... I, Right? Just yeah. that rejection of self. It's a scar. This area is its own scar land. Yeah. Until we, yeah. you know, we do, we, we, we go, wait, let's shine a light. Hey, maybe this isn't so scary. I was right. taught how to use my fingers. I was taught how to ride a bike. I should be taught about what is going on. Right. What, right. What are and the components that make it up down yes. there? And that pleasure is your birthright. Rika, I think we'll leave it there for today. That is those wonderful final words. Pleasure is your birthright, everybody. Rika Gaspari here with us today. Rika can be found at her website, Rika Gaspari. That's R-R-E-E-C-A-G-A-S-P, like Peter, A-R-I, dot com. Are there any other ways that people should reach you, or is that probably the hub? That's if they want more. The hub, yes. Okay, great. Rika Shoot, we could just keep talking. <laughs> so fun. It's been a you. pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to The Way of Healing. We hope that you find yourself inspired. If you enjoyed our show, a gift is to let others know. And we want to hear from you. Please share your feedback so we know how our work is resonating. Make us aware of modalities and practitioners whom we may not know. If you haven't already, please subscribe at thewayofhealingpodcast.com. Our email is thewayofhealingpodcast at gmail.com and find us at facebook.com forward slash thewayofhealing. Remember, a rising tide lifts all boats.